very hard hitting. What is your go-to karaoke song? All right. Um, I can be a hero and Ricky Iglesias. There you go. <laughs> Didn't there we have is. somebody else with that answer? I think so, yeah. I think we've had one other person say that before. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I think it was uh, Jeff Charles. Oh, yes, yes, yes. That's right. That's yes. so funny. You can tell that about people's songs and music. So. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, and welcome to Talking Too Loud with Chris Savage. I am your host, Chris Savage, and I'm joined by Sylvie Lubau. Sylvie, you're our producer. You're hello, my co-host. Hello. You're you're such a nice person. Here you are again. <laughs> I'm such a nice person. Look at you. That's so nice. Yeah. I'll take it. Friendly, <laughs> kind. Constantly telling jokes we're not recording. Constantly trying to get you to tell more jokes on air. <gasps> oh man. <laughs> well, we have a great guest today. Kobe Gomliel, who is the head of agency growth at Wix Studio, is here. So we're gonna be hearing about how Wix has grown dramatically. How do you build new products? How do you test things out? Um, I mean, we got we got heady per usual. You know, I like to get heady. Peruge. Peruge. Uh, we talked about parenting. We talked about how you learn and navigate your way through the work world, through life. I mean, we covered a lot of bases. It was in soulful. This one. It, was it was soulful. Very soulful. You were entranced, I would say. Is that I was accurate? like, yes. I was like tongue tied in a in a nice way. That's Not nice. in like an anxious way, in like a, huh, I'm turning that over in my head. You did You did look like you were processing. A lot of processing happening. Yeah. You're like a machine. <laughs> I was going to say, my CPU was overloaded. <laughs> Little joke for you. Oh, uh, you got it going. The CPU <laughs> jokes always get me. What's got you talking to, Loud Savage? Oh, wow. Um, that's a good question. Well, you know, what I'm excited about right now is that we have been working on a brand refresh here at Wistia. New word mark. That's right. You heard it here first, except it's out by the time this episode's out. So go check it out. Um, But totally new website. And we've changed a lot of stuff. I'm super proud. It looks so great. And I think it just does a better job explaining all the new things we've been doing. Like obviously the last few years, we've been building so many new things in the product, really expanding the product of what it can do dramatically, editing, recording, all that stuff. We've made huge changes to the core and it's all showing up on this pretty little site that looks like it's been that way forever. And that's not the case. It's taken a lot of hard work to get there. <laughs> um, but if you were to, for the first time, show up at Wistia today, you would say, oh, look at this. So I'm super excited for that. And I just love seeing the process. You know, it's like I... I jump in and then I go go back out and I come back in a month later and it's like evolved a lot. I go back out and I come in and it's like, oh, this crazy video exists and all this. It's been really fun to watch. That's amazing. That's really cool. I'm excited to see it unveiled. Yes. And lots of house cleaning. That's the other thing. Like the website oh, has. God bless. You know, it just feels clean that good house. when yeah, you just you're clean like, that house. You clean get it, it out of here. Get, get it all the junk here. out of here. Get all those weird. I got sent something today that was like, look at this. 18 people a month are seeing this page and it's like a getting started with Wistia page. that was created in 2011 and it's a PDF. It's honestly endearing, but it's completely useless. It's completely confusing. No one should see this. And 18 people a month are seeing this thing, probably very confused. So it's nice to clean house little, you know, it feels good. It's amazing. What's got you talking too loud? Um, Mine's pretty basic, I guess, but (laughs) Super Bowl. Talking too loud about the Super Bowl. 
Not a huge football fan, but like definitely enjoy a Super Bowl watch. Mm. I hosted. I hosted okay. a party. Where was my invite? So sorry, it got lost uh, in the uh, mail. <laughs> <laughs> it was very small. It was really just my parents, my sister, and Greg. And oh, that's great. One of my sister's besties. Okay. But um, made uh, chicken wings, buffalo wings for the first time. You made them? Made them. Not Impressive. too shabby. I was, okay. uh, I'd make them again. Pretty good. Pretty good. And of course, I'm like, okay, I don't want to talk about Travis and Taylor because we should be talking about Mahomes. He mm. crushed. Mm-hmm. But of course, I'm talking about Travis and Taylor, and I'm like annoyed that I'm talking about Travis and Taylor. And what are you talking about? You believe the I'm conspiracy? I'm like, is it a stunt? Is it real? Is it, is it I a don't deep know. state conspiracy? I really don't know. Do you have an opinion? About if it's a deep state conspiracy? Yeah. It's is not it? a deep state conspiracy. <laughs> not a deep state conspiracy. <laughs> but is it authentic? Is it genuine? Their relationship? Yes. Yeah, I think it's, I think it's genuine. To me, they look like two people who are at the beginning of a relationship. They're in the honeymoon phase. They happen to be wildly, wildly famous. And okay. they they look very happy. And uh, right. it reminds me, I mean, did you watch the Beckham documentary? Uh, I haven't watched it, it. If you watch that, it's like, it really, I mean, reminds me of The beginning of, of him and Posh. Like him and Posh. It's like, okay, she's a huge singer. She's so popular. She's traveling the world. And like, he's this incredible athlete and blah, blah, blah. And like, how do they, and it, yeah. everyone was obsessed with them. My favorite meme about the Taylor Kelsey thing is like, uh, you know, if they get married and have babies, it's going to be like a baby boom <laughs> in the U S because like there's, it's so influential. And I just think it's so funny and it's probably true. <laughs> <laughs> it is probably true. If Taylor Swift just started having like tons of babies, I think people would be like, you know what? We should do this. Let's go. Well, whether it's real or not, jury's out. I'm not sure. I'm not sure what I think. I like that you don't think it's real. That's hilarious. I know. Um, Is that so cynical? But, you know, great uh, brand growth for the two of them. Great brand growth. Yeah, fantastic brand. We love to see it. We love to see the spectacle. We love to see, you know, just be able to talk about people, use their first names, their nicknames, feel like we know them. We don't. The parasocial relationship. You know, we try to do that in marketing. We try to have a connection to people we don't know. We try to put our personalities out there, be authentic, uh, tell stories. Bring good energy. Bring good energy. And speaking of good energy and bringing good stories and marketing and standing out and learning, I think it's time to get into this interview with Kobe when we talk about all of that. So let's jump into the interview right after the break. Hey guys, it's me, Frank the Ad Guy. If you're ready to scale in 2024, look no further than HubSpot's Sales Hub, a free CRM tool that lets your team source more leads, deeper customer connections, and close more deals. From a management suite that streamlines your sales process to reporting and analytics tools that forecast revenue, Sales Hub gives you the flow that lets you grow. Learn more at HubSpot.com sales. Looking to harness the power of video for your business? Whether you're hosting webinars, onboarding new customers, or creating a spiffy landing page, video is key to making an impact. And that's where Wistia comes in. With our complete video marketing platform, we help you create, 
host, and share videos that not only get views, they also get results. And the cherry on top? Wistia's in-depth analytics and handy email forms. They're the perfect tools for lead generation and understanding your audience. So if you're ready to level up your capital V video marketing strategy, head on over to wistia.com slash TTL. That's W-I-S-T-I-A dot com slash TTL. And don't forget to follow at Wistia on social media for more tips, tricks, and video treats. And now back to the podcast. Kobe, welcome to the show. So great to meet you. So great to be here, guys. Thanks a lot. Very excited to be talking loud with you. There's already a little vibe going, which is why I've got to get, we got to record. Good energy, indeed. Good energy. You can't miss anything. You don't want to miss <laughs> the gold. Um, so obviously the show is called Talking Too Loud because when I get excited, I cannot control the volume of my voice. This is something that's been true since I was a kid. Happens to me all the time. Literally yesterday, I was sitting next to a friend and his wife. And she just got up and walked away. And we're like, what was it? It's like, she's like, you guys are just so loud. loud. It's like unbelievable. So it's, it's true. It's who I am. Uh, but we love to start the show by knowing what has our guests talking too loud? What are they excited about? So what has you talking too loud today? Well, Chris and Sylvia, maybe I'll look young, but I have four kids. And, okay. Um, there you go. Yeah, indeed. And, and you know, I want to bring this up because I'm a really digital person. And I think like the digital, like, you know, devices and everything make our kids more oriented. Yeah. But I find myself most of the time, me and my wife thinking like, what about our kids' screen time? Yeah. Like what, what we should do with it? You know, it's like a one hour a day, two hours a day. My, my older kids like playing Fortnite, the younger kids going to YouKid kids. And I don't know, I think it's something that like bother me a lot and thinking like, what will be the ideal setup for our kids in terms of the screen? I mean, they're socialized like this, you know? I mean, yeah. playing Fortnite with their friends is part of a social life. How old are your four kids? So I have 11, 8, 6, and 4. Okay, yeah. Three boys, one girl. Okay, three boys, one Wow. And it's, it's hard, right? Because like my experience, I have two kids. They're 6 and 8. My 6-year-old just wants to do whatever the 8-year-old is doing. So if we allow the 8-year-old to watch something, whatever, my 6-year-old is like, well, I should be able to do that too, right? How do you feel having your kids growing up in this world and having to set these limits and thinking about them, like what advice would you give me? We usually on the weekends doesn't have that much of limitations. Yeah. But during the day, like they need to come from school doing their homework, doing like their stuff. They can have like a, around like a 30 minutes, one hour, like, you know, after lunch, uh, before like afternoon, they can go out to the garden or playing with their friends or going to, you know, like basketball, soccer and that stuff. And then at night around like 7 PM till like 8:30 PM, they have another time, but more or less, this is it. Yeah. And, and you know, I think like everything you're doing, you don't have to be that strict, you know? I think rules are meant to be a bit bended in some cases, and there are some exceptions. And you need to be like flexible, and you need to be a bit more creative with this. And, and I think it really resonates also with how you work and how you manage people, you know? You don't have to be like that strict and doing things that are so, you know, like this is the line that we need to go through, and, and there are no exceptions. Totally. I mean, by the way, great transition. I mean, you just did it for me there. So I wasn't expecting that. I'm um, getting into it correctly. I surprise you. <laughs> um, Kobe, can you tell people, um, who, people who don't know, first of all, Wix, just tell us like really high level. I know you've been at Wix for nine years. I think yeah, that's almost right. Almost 10. To almost 10 years. 
So just to like tell us a little bit of like, what has the experience been like at Wix? What is Wix today? And then I want to get into specifically, you know, Wix Studio and all the agency stuff. Sure. So I, I guess, I mean, most of the people know Wix from like the YouTube ads, you know, but I guess, especially in the States, how we're, we're getting big exposure because of some of the Super Bowl ads we did a few years back. But eventually it's a web creation platform. Um, Wix was, was in the last 10 years was one of the leading web creation platform for self-creators building their own business. And eventually throughout the years, I think mainly in the past five years, we noticed that most of the people that create websites are professionals and they create websites for other people, not for themselves. Yeah. Um, designers, marketers, developers. And what we understood throughout the years, speaking with all these professional people that we need to create their own platform. So it has much more extensive web creation tools and also some easier way to manage their agencies, their clients, uh, how they're working with their clients relationship. And that's why we built Wix Studio and we launched it last October. Got it. And for context, like how many employees were at Wix when you started and how many are there now? Yeah, so I joined 2014. I think it was around like 400. And today we have more than 5,000 employees, 12 offices. Um, It's getting big. It's getting big and, and there are many, many things that are moving simultaneously. And I think our main challenge is to overseeing everything and making sure that everything is like set apart and working together. I asked the question because one thing I find really interesting is in the early stages of a company, you know, people are close to customers usually if it's working, right? Like they're like talking to customers, they're learning from them, they're figuring out what's going on. And then as companies get bigger, it's very easy to rely on the quantitative data to tell you what to do, like as for insights, but you inherently miss this connection to the story or the true understanding about why someone's behaving the way that they are. And what you just talked about was an example of like, it sounded to me like, a lot of qualitative data, like a lot of talking to customers, understanding their pain. And it's actually kind of surprising because I think of Wix as a very easy website creation platform. Like it's something that's so easy and anyone can do it. And then the insight that you highlighted is really interesting, which is like professionals choosing Wix because it's so easy, but then inherently they're professionals, they need more power. That's a really interesting insight to uncover. So how did the company figure that out? So first of all, I think uh, our CEO always say that he has more than like 200 million bosses, which are users, and we should continue speaking with them on a daily basis. I think our product people must speak with users every month. Like it's part of your role. If you're not doing this, you're not doing your job. So first of all, we're speaking with users all the time. When I joined Wix, as I said, almost 10 years ago, um, and I came from, I had my own digital marketing agency and I, and I joined Wix to, to build our entire marketing set of, of products. And I think in the first days, I realized that I always want to touch and meet users all the time. So either I'm going to have my own user that I'm going to do like marketing for him on the Wix platform and understand like the pain that he has as a user doing marketing activities and bringing traffic to his own website. Or from the other hand, build like an internal agency that will build websites and businesses for others and understand their own issues and their own problems to understand our own challenges as well. So I think by speaking with users, you understand exactly where the products are taking you. Like you, you should become and build some more complex solutions 
and yeah. you need some more integration and make the platform much more open in APIs and everything to make sure that every professional which has its own, let's say, toolkit, you know, like as a marketer, you have your own toolkit and you want to make sure that it will be seamless for them to onboard these tools inside the platform and build this for their own clients. Yeah. And then tell me about Wix Studio and like seeing this insight and what that means and also what it means to kind of have the, the agency themselves as the ideal customer for you. Yeah, so, so as I said, when we pave the way and start like understand that we have more professionals in our platform that building for others and, you know, the world of like web creation or the freedom of creativity, you want to be much more complex and you want to do much more end design things, you know, like uh, animations and parallax and, and, and adding a yeah. video and a 3D and these type of stuff on, on the web. And of course, these browsers allow you to do it. You understood that you need to have a much more complex solution that will allow professionals like create their own vision into reality. Um, and in addition to it, you understand that they're facing like their own challenges of managing their clients, their site. They want to make things much more efficient. So we build an end-to-end -end platform called Week Studio, which is for agencies and enterprises that the way we see it is, is helping, you know, these professionals build exceptional websites and from the other end, help them manage them much more efficiently. So you can create in scale and also manage on scale and making sure that you support your clients in a way that you will still going to be unique. You will be able to create like bespoke websites that are something with your own signature, but also manage this seamlessly as either, you know, uh, freelancers or professionals, a designer or as a big agency that need to have like many clients to manage. So you have such incredible scale at Wix, right? When you start a program like this, are you from the, the day you launch it, do you expect to manage a huge amount of scale? Like, are you ready with Wix Studio when it launches that you're going to have hundreds of thousands of people coming in there? Can you start small? Like, how do you do that at scale? Like, how do you, how do you test things or yeah, get, get stand up something new alongside the scale? Cause 200 million, I mean, is unbelievably huge. Yeah. So, so first of all, I mean, Everything is based on the, the Wix as a company infrastructure. I mean, everything that we build makes sure that we're going to scale our platform in terms of security, reliability, um, SEO, infrastructure, yeah. making sure that everything we're doing in terms of the technology behind it will support scale. So no matter what um, volume we're going to get in terms of traffic and in terms of the usage of our platform, we'll be able to support it. So I think like this is first, you need to build like a good infrastructure that will support this. And, and usually you, you like, we work on this product in, in like at least one year to make sure that we're going to be in a way where we'll be able to launch it because, you know, in some cases, eventually when you have users meeting your products, you don't have like too many shots. It's like a good first impression that you need to do. I mean, their experience, their journey need to be so sharp to make sure that their experience inside the platform is something that, they will, you know, always say that you need to have these small Easter eggs inside your product journey, making sure that the users getting things that they didn't expect to, like a better, like amazing support, or they want to share what their experience is. They're getting things more seamless. So I think these type of things help us build up the better products we're doing. Does that mean that you basically wouldn't be able to think of the, like, 
you know, a startup might do a minimum viable product that is very minimal, right? And that's the idea. It's the most minimal viable thing. Does that mean that for you, that's not the approach here? Like when you launch something that's new to the scale, it needs to be so perfect and crisp and clean and clear. And to your point, like the first impression needs to hit that it is like very feature rich when it launches. I don't think necessarily um, MVP must mean that you need like, uh, you know, minimum features or means that we're waiting for too many features. I think, first of all, the infrastructure need to have a good solid infrastructure because you want like yes. zero bugs, yeah. zero frustration. But yes. then you do can be able to do some small features that are really, you know, you validate them and making sure that you have like these users consume them and then continue adding more features and more features. Um, actually, my own take on MVP is more na- less about most valuable product is must validate the product. Mm. So eventually, I think there is process in the MVP that you can do many things, even manually, in a way that you validate your product, like you must validate it before you even launch it. And there are many things in, in, in product lifecycle that you can do manually, making sure that even before you build it, you can do some things with your own hands as a product person, as a developer, you know, even sending trigger emails manually, making sure that things are working. And you would still do that even at your scale. You would still, you know, validate something yourself and send the emails and do the, you know. Well, well, well in some cases, it could be like really, really for small features at the moment yeah. or really, really for small things. But, but yeah. yeah, for sure, like if we want to do something that we want to see that this is something that is on spot, I know yeah. I can give an example of something. Let's say that we want to do something that do like client analytics. All right. So me as an agency, I want to make sure that I am yeah. able to do like automatic clients analytics and reporting for my clients. So in, in, for some extent, I can take a group of 10 agencies, do the report for them, send them on their behalf and see the reaction of the clients even before I'm just, you know, building a tool that automate this. Yeah, so you're still doing things that don't scale to prove and validate that you should do things that that would scale. Of course, I mean, yeah, even like this, you know, in, in in such a big company, when you have too many like so many priorities, even you as as a you know a product team manager and 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 looking over things, you want to make sure that you get a buy-in from the management to do stuff. In some cases, you need to come with some data, either qualitative or quantitative, to make sure that this will work and this is worth the investment. As, as you know, instead of investing resources on other things. I love that. The reason I'm asking so many questions about this is that this is a territory that I think like can be a hard one for people to wrap their minds around. Like they join a company and it has momentum and they're like, oh, I should just do what the company is doing. And I've seen that happen at Wistia where people come as like, the way that it works must be intentional. And a lot of it is, but some of it isn't. And so what we want is for people to experiment and find the right next thing forward, right? And like validate and figure it out. And I find that it's just a, it's a hard thing to get working at scale where people think the way you're talking about. So I'm trying to get specific because if someone's listening and they're wondering, you know, oh, this might be a great idea, but how do I actually get buy-in or how do I prove that it's gonna work? Like the the techniques, even the example of the emails, I think is such a great one of like, hey, let's just send an email to 10 customers and it'll look like what the email is going to code up that we're going to do. But we're not actually going to do it. We're not going to send it to a thousand. We're not going to send it to a million. We're not going to take that kind of risk. But if we have 10 customers and they love it and it drives action, then we're going to have way more confidence that we should move forward. And so 
that's why I'm asking about that. But I also want to just hear a little bit about um, when you're trying to get buy-in from management, you know, someone has some big new thing. How do you convince them to pay attention? How do you convince them that it's a, a good opportunity? How do you, how do you think about that? So, so first of all, I think I'm a big believer in creating your own output of your work. Like don't hide stuff. Even if you think they are really, really small, the fact that you are like celebrating your output or your wins, making you that you're much more accomplished and fulfillment of what you're doing. And eventually I think you need to come prepared. I mean, first of all, I think there are, especially in, in a big company and, and with so many users that we have, I mean, we have tons of data that you need to explore and find something in the data that will let you know that you have what I call some oil signs as a start. And I think you need to find these oil signs. And then I would just go and see like if there are competitors that are doing this, if there are some products that are doing this, you know, you can find great things on Product Hunt and some other places to understand if there is some seeds of something that is happening that maybe you can find a trend of something that you, you believe that it's going to work. And then since you have the liberty in a way of like trying to get your own initiatives, you can try something manually and get these oil signs backed up with the data to make sure that, all right, I have the intent of the users that I believe we can do something. And, and when I'm saying you come prepared, you need to make sure like what the resources that they need to make it happen, what the budget that they need to make it happen, how much time it will take me to do it. And eventually you need to, to get these people answers, making sure that this is the right decision that they're doing as opposed to doing something else that could be more important. Yes. Very cool. So like really come in, come in with the data, the plan, the proof points, like make the full case is what you're saying. Yeah, for sure. I, I think if I remember back, like, you know, 10 years ago, um, we have what usually called like, you know, uh, roadmap sessions, you know, every once in a while you're meeting the management, what your roadmap and, and what we're looking after. And remember that I came from my first roadmap. So prepared, you know, with like, product design and mock-ups and I thought like, all right, this is the thing, this is what I'm going to do. Yeah. And the, like, this like was the shortest roadmap I have. After two minutes, they said like, can you do it manually first? Can you try to do it manual and show that this is working and we need to build a product around it? And then I went back and did everything manual to prove that there is this oil science to create something. That's such, that's such a good lesson. Um, I feel like it's so many people get stuck with the first approach and they never adapt. It's, it's, it's hard out there. Um, okay. On your LinkedIn bio, I noticed you call yourself a digital sociologist, which I love that term. What does that mean to you? And how does that tie into your role as head of agency growth at Wix Studios? Sure. So, so as I said, I mean, Wix Studios is a platform for agencies. And one of my role is managing a team that trying to look on a specific audience. So looking on the design audience, the marketer audience, like the agency owners. And what I mean by digital sociologists is trying to understand, like, what's the digital spaces that these audiences are interact with? Like, what are the publishers, the podcasts, the, the newsletters, the Twitter accounts, the influencers, trying to understand exactly where they are. But eventually, like, the old marketing tactics that you need to do eventually is make people move. You need to make people click. You need to make people share. You need to make people take an action. So you need to take this sociology into the digital sphere and now everything has changed and evolved in a way that you need to use this in order to make people take an action. And these actions could be like, you know, like, retweet, whatever the things that usually we're doing and see how we can make these people move in this space 
and creating these actions. So I guess this terminology is something that um, really resonates, at least for, for me, because I'm, I'm using the way that we, regardless of which marketing I will do, I'm using the same methodology in order to crack it and understand like how we're bringing growth and how we're making sure that we're going to bring the right audience to the whatever platform or product you're trying to to promote. Let's talk about the the growth market in general. You know, it's it's changed a lot um, in the last ten years. Um, is there something that you think makes this moment today in the opportunities um, in growth marketing and engaging customers to better understand your product or to stand out? Is there something today that's making it particularly challenging or particularly exciting? Well, I think I think um, you know, looking about like me as an agency owner ten years ago and today, and I'm not sure that we said AI once in the last thirty minutes, probably. <laughs> not yet. So maybe we're going to say it for once. But but eventually, I think within our own agencies, we have like a new role. You know, we have like maybe prompt people that these are their own expertise, creating like prompts and 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 getting the um, like me journey optimization or ChatGPT and this stuff and help us do the work much more faster and seamless. And I think that this also changed the way that we're doing marketing. I think you want to find your own niche. You want to be unique. You want to make sure that you're getting exposure and you can use these type of techniques to be much more relevant for what you're doing. And thinking about like, you know, how everything grew up in the past 10 years, I think we have many, many platforms, many, many niche circles and communities like we have the user influencers much bigger. And I think eventually what you need to do is, is, is the same thing as what you've done probably like 50 years ago. You know, you need to find the right people that create a difference. You need to have the right messaging. You need to understand the intent and you want to make people take an action. But now we have like so many places that you can do it. This is what makes things much more complex. But, you know, but that's the strategy and the methodology stay the same. Yeah. And what is your advice for people who are trying to figure out, you know, how much to invest in their website versus how much to invest on these channels? And, you know, because it is overwhelming. There's so much in a weird way. There's like never been more opportunity and people have never been more connected. But then I think it can feel paralyzing. So how do you think about tackling the overall space of, you know, you're trying to market a new product? You're trying to get people's attention today. Yeah. So, so I think first and foremost, a business need to have his own assets. I mean, you need to own your own, like digital real estate. I would say, your own website, your own subscribe list. Like these are the things that, no matter if you're gonna do like your own TikTok channel, YouTube channel, Facebook page, Instagram, whatever. Eventually, who knows what's gonna to happen to these platforms? But your own stuff is one of the things that really hold, and and you own it. And I think this foremost, you need to understand what you want to be with within your website to make sure that eventually will make your own customer journey in a way that will be something that makes sense for your business. And I think most of the people like going in through like, let's do the design, let's do the mock-up really, really fast and, and let's understand their own audience, like what they need, what you want them to do, what you expect them to happen after they're like having their lead or doing a purchase. And I think most of the time we're like lack of the planning before like building a website, I think this is what we should invest the most. And no one knows your own clients and audience by beside you as a business owner, eventually. Yeah, it's funny you say that because it's like, you know, we talk about video all the time, obviously here at Wistia. We do a, a state of video report, which is basically like, 
you know, surveying our customers, looking at usage trends, like, you know, all this different stuff. And the interesting thing in the last few years has been like a very high percentage of customers are making video, but a pretty low percentage of people have a strategy. Yeah. And obviously like it ends up really working when you have a strategy, <laughs> when you do the work up front, that's like, Hey, I'm only going to put videos on one channel. I'm going to make the channel. I'm going to make it better and better and better on this channel, or I'm going to have a specific one singular goal for a video versus have 30 goals. Um, how do we get people to do the hard stuff? You know, you're talking like do the planning and <laughs> figure out who your customer is. And I'm talking about the same thing. Basically it was like, how are you going to tell the right story? You know, how do you have to set the right goals? Like, how do you have a strategy that you come up with? I don't have the answer. I'm just wondering what, how you think about that. I think first and foremost, like I really believe in like do what you do best, outsource the rest. If you need someone to help you do it, it will be great to have you like a good partner to collaborate with, or you need like a business advisor to help you with a strategy. And even if you're doing something ad hoc just for like three months, you need to understand like your weaknesses. And I think it's something that we are really afraid of, you know, taking someone to help us. Like who, who likes to ask for help, right? And, and eventually, if, if we do take these like smart people around us to help us and find the right person with the right niche so he can help us with a strategy. And if he's good, it will be easier for me. I mean, eventually, I want to, to create jewelries or I want to build my own fashion brand. Like I want to need, this is what I want to do eventually. I don't want to do marketing. I don't want to do like back office stuff and, and pack boxes to send them to different people. Eventually, I want to do my own thing. This is what I came from. And, and we're lacking on, of thinking in that way. And I think this is something that we need to change. Yeah, I mean, that is the other side of living in a very interconnected world where there's a lot of experts, right? Is like really honing in on the thing that you have the unique ability to do. And saying like, to your point, what was the exact line you said? Do what you do best. Do what you do best and outsource the rest. I love that way of thinking. And I think it's... Um, I mean, that's also how you scale a team, right? It's like, you're not gonna be able to do everything better than everybody else. You need to find the thing that you do really well, that's uniquely valuable and get other people who can do the other stuff better than you, be it like inside your company or outside. Okay, I'm gonna shift the conversation back to talking about our kids. I think it's interesting because like we're talking about the future and how to prepare. We're talking about scaling and ownership and getting really good at things. And it's funny, like when I was growing up, I played video games and there's some things I look back on where like, there were certain games that I got really good at. And I remember it taught me how to get good at something. That's what it felt like to me. It was like, you know, I could see my progress in such a way that I built up a lot of confidence. Like, oh, I can be the best at this thing. And um, it's interesting because like I have the same struggle, I think, that you do, which is just like, I want my kids to be able to have those opportunities too. But the games feel more addicting and they feel like more pervasive. And so it's like, how do you, is it possible to give your kids the opportunity to get really good at these things and also keep it balanced? And then I just feel old because I feel like, am I just my own parents telling me not to do something? <laughs> and I don't know. How do you think about that? Do you see your kids like trying to like really excel in some direction and with in the good side of screen time, like, you know, getting really good at Fortnite, for example? Well, I think eventually the word now is like with huge opportunities. I mean, you should exercise in many, many things. And it's really hard eventually to find the thing that you love and you want to expertise it. I mean, you know, we have so many YouTubers 
tell our kids, yeah, like, they can be the next YouTuber, they can be the next influencer, they're going in that direction, but not necessarily it's something that they love. I mean, they love like this star quality around them. So I think the best advice is to exercise in many, many things, try to do different type of things, um, try to find a thing that you feel that makes you feel either calm or excited. And eventually, when you're going to find that thing, you're going to excel in this one. So I'll tell them, like, try out. You know, there is a new game. Try this new game as well. Like, don't stuck on this Fortnite. And if it is, I mean, try to find your own strategy into the game. But try to find your thing that make you more special, even with something that usually all the people are doing. Um, but try and exercise as much as you can. It's funny because it's like, I think what you just said, we could just replace game with work and like it would sure. be it, the best advice. It just, you know, it's like experimenting. A little trick there, you do. A little tricky, a little trick trick. Uh, no, but it's it's true. I mean, I think it's hard for people sometimes to like, there's a, there's a limited number of stories about startups and growth and what it looks like. And usually, you know, we don't, we just see the outside of like, oh, 400 employees to 5,000. Like, wow, that just must look like this. Like, it's just like really consistent growth. My experience talking to lots of other entrepreneurs is just like, you know, you take a few steps forward and then there's stuff that breaks and it goes backwards. And it's like, you have to build up resilience and you have to build up like a flexible approach to things. And you have to experiment. You have to figure out what you're actually good at and jettison the other stuff. And so it's just interesting because like so much of our conversation has been about work, but also at the same time, it's like, the same thing that our kids are trying to do. It's like, how do you interact with the world and how do you play? And I think it's, I don't know, it's just a really interesting question that you kind of started with about screen time is like, how do we make sure that like, we're working on things that are actually compelling and interesting and, and don't just like distract us or like suck up time without getting the right like response back. Cause I think that's, that's true with like bad screen time. That's also true with like bad work and bad projects. You know, I think, I think one of the most hardest things is what you're not doing, not what you're doing. Like you're how do I reach to a point that I'm going to say to myself, you know what, this I'm not going to do anymore, or yeah. this I'm not planning to do because I don't think this is the right way or the right resources, whatever. And I think we need to work on this muscle of telling ourselves, how would I make this decision of the thing that I'm not doing as opposed to the thing that I am doing? How do you make that decision? How do you know when you should stop doing something? Well, first of all, I think I'm really be a big believer in energy. I think energy is something that really like motivates you and you make the right decisions for energy. And, yeah. and, and, and before I'm going into like data, before I'm doing into the decision making and everything, eventually if I feel that their energy is stuck or there is something that is not working the way that it should work, even if I believe that this is like the best path that we need to take, maybe this is not the right one and it will be like a bigger manager decision to say, all right, let's not do this and maybe come back in a few months, few years, but it will make the energy of other project much more fulfillment and compelling to what we're doing. And you're talking about the connection between the work itself and the people doing the work, like the vibe, the feeling, the energy. And it's everything. Like it's your partners, um, other colleagues, oh, yeah. other teams, everything around it, you know? Even, yeah. even if you're doing like a small test to try to increase the, the funnel in something, but you see that it's not working that good as you expected, or you feel that you're getting some, some feedback from, from other like colleagues that saying, you know, this is not, maybe not the right direction. 
And, and you know, in big companies, you want to make sure that you are doing the right decisions and, you know, in some places means that maybe this is not the right task that you should do or this is not the right project that you need to take. And let's either continue what we're doing and think about something else. Yeah, it's funny because that seems like soft stuff, but it's so true. Like it happens all the time. It's like I can tell when it feels good, you know, when it feels good, when the energy's right, you know, in the room. And it's like, you know, you could tell someone asks a question that if the energy wasn't right, they wouldn't be able to ask. Like they wouldn't feel the trust of the space. And, um, you know, we've done, Wistia was in person before COVID and now we're remote, but we still bring folks together in person for big planning meetings and stuff. And one of the things that was really interesting at the last planning meeting, which was in January, was everyone just kept talking to me about the vibe. It's like, man, the vibe, it just feels really good. It feels like, yeah, we just want to get to the truth of what's working. Like no one's holding back in the best way possible, where it's just like, you, you feel like you can question each other. You can disagree openly in front of a big room. And that's because we're all trying to get to the right place. And I've been there when it's not working and it sucks. And it's of like, <laughs> but the, it's often that feel it's the feeling first. And so it's just really interesting. Cause it's like, I don't know. We, I use so much data all the time to make decisions. And yet like there's a certain type of data that sometimes we just don't listen to enough, which is how it feels. And it's like people try to convince themselves like to not be emotional at work. Right. But like, if you're shutting down your emotions and you're not in tune with how other people are reacting and feeling and like, if they believe they can accomplish the problem that they're working on, for example, um, then you're actually shutting down one of the most powerful things you can use to grow. And I think throughout the years, I mean, you're going to, you're going to feel based on your experience, you're going to have this hunch that tells you just from the first day that this is the right path. This is the right thing that we need to do. You know, I think this hunch is something that it's, it's a way of thinking it will help you understand that you make the right decisions. Yeah. Or there is a hunch in your stomach tell you that, you know what, it's not going the way I want it to be. It's, it's, it's too hard. It's, it's struggle. Let's take and stop it now. And, and in, in a moment you feel like the relief that you said, why do I continue doing this still now? Yeah, yeah. What was the reason that I continue tackling this task or this effort? And the moment it's done, you just like feel that the energy is back. Yeah. What's the energy like at Wix Studio these days? Wow. I mean, first of all, launching a new product is always, you know, fascinating. And I think the fact that you are, you know, as I said, one of the things that I really love is actually meeting like, you know, the clients, the users um, and, and meeting like agency owners and trying to understand their own pain, their own needs. Even if it's, you know, it's something that is happening so many years, but still like with all the like digital space and everything that is happening, like meaning and understanding the, that you solve pains for, for specific type of audience, I think it's really pump up the energy. And the fact that you know that you're working on products that are really, really innovative, that you have like the freedom to create and do stuff that are unique. Um, although, you know, you could say like this space is really cluttered with, you know, many competitors and many stuff, but you are trying to find your own angle, trying to find your own niche and doing things that you believe that there is a team that is ready for success and making things happen. And this is really, really interesting. While you know that the company is continue doing other stuff in other places. That's awesome. I mean, it's, that's, it's exciting to, to be creating something new and be doing it with people who will like want to do it and like are excited, excited about the challenge. 
and a lot of these spaces were and they're big. I mean, that's the thing that's so crazy, right? Like, um, I think about that all the time. Like we started Wistia in 2006, but the market doesn't care if we started in 2006. Like I've been at this a long time, but if the market's early stage today, it's early stage today, you can't control it. And I feel like that's like the interesting thing about the internet is like, it's still growing so much. There's so many people I talk to all the time who um, are like, yeah, I really should. I really should make that video. I still haven't. Or I really should update my website. To me, it just feels like it's, it can feel late stage. And I think it's actually a lot of this stuff is very early stage. And that's really exciting. Yeah, there, there's so many opportunities and things change so fast. Yeah. Like, who knows? Like, when was the time that they invented the iPhone? When was like Meta? X, TikTok, there, like, there are so many things that just happened totally. so rapidly. And you're just saying, really? It was like that? Totally. A few, few yeah. years ago, it's that's it? So fast. I mean, TikTok is like, what, four years or something since like it really started to get big in the US. And yeah. it's like, you, ca you can't really have a conversation about social media without it. It's so crazy. it's, uh, it's pretty no, remarkable. Let's do like this. How many people spoke about AI 10 years ago? And oh, in yeah. just like one month, like everything just pop up and everything is around AI. Everything, everything has completely seen. changed. And expectations, customer expectations are changing really fast. Yeah, it's 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 fascinating time to be in. I think we're, I, I think eventually, I think um, all of us were really lucky to have like these two phases. I mean, our kids grow into something that it was different. I mean, 40 years ago, eventually today, they're growing yeah. into different stuff. And, and I do feel that we still need to give like the kids, the marketers, the developers still also the basic to make yes. sure that the basics keep the basics, yeah. no matter which platform you're using, no matter which room you are, which computer you'll have, which magic headsets you have of your eyes, the basics should be still the basics. And yeah. when we crack the basics for our own niche, I think we could do it every, anywhere in different platform, every channel, whatever we're going to take. Yeah, I love that. Um, Kobe, thank you so much for joining us here today. Really great having you on the show. Where can people best connect with you? I think, I mean, probably everywhere, like, you know, X, LinkedIn, Facebook, whatever, really, I'll be happy. Amazing. Thank you so much, Kobe. We'll be back right after this break. Hey guys, it's me again. Frank the Ad Guy. And one of the shows on the HubSpot Podcast Network that I'm talking too loud about these days is My First Million. Hosted by Sam Parr and Sean Purry, this podcast feels like an ode to entrepreneurship even when there's failure. After having built successful businesses themselves, Sam and Sean brainstorm new business ideas and give you the tools to help you turn your idea into a reality. Check it out at HubSpot.com slash podcast network or wherever you listen to podcasts. And now back to the show. And we're back. Here we are. <laughs> and we're back. And we're back. Um, you know, it's always interesting. I find it interesting to talk to folks who have like one been at a company for a long time through a lot of growth seen a lot of change, still really excited about it. And I think with an interview like this with Kobe, like my instinct is to get a little bit heady into the why, like, why do you work in this way? What does success look like? What does change look like? Because a lot of that stuff is what trips folks up, right? Is like, you're in a company, it's growing, and then it has to change, or you see an opportunity. How do you actually get them to change? How do you get them to see the opportunity? How do you take a risk? How do you try something new? 
it's so hard to do that when you have momentum in one direction and you want to add another one on. So I think for me, that's where I like, I, I love this interview getting into that and hearing inside another business because that's the challenge I often see people facing and want to help them through. And I'm, I'm just always looking for more stories about that, which I think is why I was like drawn to this one. Yeah. And it was interesting because I feel like some of the advice was tactical, but some of it was so much more intuitive and kind of like knowing, like having a hunch or like reading a room, yeah. feeling energy um, and like, how much we kind of take that stuff for granted in work. We definitely don't in life, right? Yeah. That's how we make decisions in life. Yeah. But we sort of like compartmentalize that part at work. I think it seems like you're supposed to compartmentalize it. Yeah. Don't you think? It's like I, that's the expectation. Yeah. And then therefore people compartmentalize it and then they, they turn off, you know, and not everyone can just leave their job or do something different if they're not feeling it, right? And right. so I want to recognize that. Yes. But I think trying to search for that and trying to understand it trying to build a team that has that, you know, the right energy, the right vibe, like it does add up. That's what's so crazy. It's like, yeah. of course it does. And obviously, you know, kudos to Wix that that's like a default that he sees exists there, right? You know, not every place is going to have the positive energy. And I think uh, it's like, that's another lesson in and of itself, right? Like, how do you have sustained growth for a long time? If you can actually have the culture right, you can have the energy right, like you can. It was it was refreshing and and I kept thinking about the size of Wix and I was like it feels even more surprising given how big the company is that like Kobe can be just as I don't know thoughtful as maybe he was a decade ago that that doesn't yeah. get eclipsed yeah um, in the wake of growth yeah in the wake of growth in the wake of growth there you go getting heady again <laughs> um well. Thank you for watching the show. Thank you for listening. Please don't forget to rate and review the show wherever you listen to it. it. Helps get the word out. Helps us get better guests. Speaking of guests, if you have somebody who you think should be on the show, reach out. Let us know. Email us at ttlpodatwist.com or hit us up on LinkedIn um, or Twitter slash X or Facebook, I guess. I feel, why do I have like, an Instagram? Um, All the channels. Snapchat. And not um, that one. iMessage and mm -hmm. um, Slack Connect. And uh, really going there. I can't think of any more. SMS? No? No. Okay. Say hi. Rate and review us. Rate and review. I think you got it. Okay, great. <laughs> we'll see you soon. Talking Too Loud is brought to you by Wistia. Hosted by Chris Savage. Produced by me, Sylvie Lubau, along with Adam Day. Executive produced by Wistia Studios. This episode was mixed by Maria Passingham. Listen to Talking Too Loud wherever you listen to podcasts. And hey, rate and review us wherever you listen. And check out more content from Wistia Studios at wistia.com.